0: Me. <laughs> <laughs> like no, like deaf tone deaf.
1: Oh, absolutely. Dan's tone deaf too. Yeah, yeah, like
0: yeah. It's almost like, sounds like he's singing harmony. He's so off. Yeah, uh, but it's like
2: sometimes when he like starts, like when he starts to sing, sometimes like every once
1: in a while he'll be like right on the money, but it's like totally off stage, and then just like veers off course. So like I, like am, I have I fixed that in ten years in two and a half
2: people.
0: Really? Like what? <laughs> he would keep a person, a kid. Thank you. other set of keys on the bottom okay. and another keyboard okay. it's enough to do mm-hmm. this one foot in this it's like the equivalent that's that's my Good morning, everyone. Some of you are standing and ready already, so thank you. (laughs) Let's stand and worship this morning.
3: Good morning everybody (laughs) I'm here I'm Sam and I'm here to do testimony time with you this morning so if there's anything you would like to share about how God has touched your lives um, or done anything that you would like to share just raise your hand and I'll come meet you Um, I know for me I'm very grateful for a healthy pregnancy I'm also very ready for the baby to come (laughs) Could be any day now, so um, but it 's been much different than my first pregnancy a little more difficult, um, especially with having a toddler so i 'm just really grateful for um, for the continued health of myself and the baby throughout the whole the whole thing so who else would like to share
4: good morning church i 'm dan and um... We, Sharon and I, had to go to Philadelphia last week. We were going to do a training for the mission agency that we used to work for. And uh, everything was all set for, because uh, we had to have childcare for Lily uh, for school nights and somebody to get her to school and all this kind of stuff. Everything's all set. And the people who were going to do the childcare got COVID. And it was like, oh man, we, you know, what are we going to do? Our daughter, Lily's aunt, uh, she had a, a gig where she was supposed to fly out of town, too. It got canceled, and so all of a sudden, she had a whole, exactly those days that we needed uh, care. So, so something that seemed like a big disaster instead ended up a great time for uh, niece and auntie to have together, and it worked out great. Thank you.
3: That's awesome. I love it. Anybody else? Yeah, that's exciting when you have a class that you've seen through the whole, that's awesome. All right, anyone else?
1: Yeah. I've got one. Um, my six, Harvest, who's six, was saying that he didn't want to do swimming lessons anymore because the water's too cold. and all these great reasons, right? And I was having to bribe him with like a toy every time we did it, and it got way too expensive. Uh, so then he said, Dad, I want you to teach me. And I, I 25 years ago, I got my WSI and lifeguard training. So I've, I've done it, but I've never taught anybody to swim. But I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? I, we don't have a pool. It, he wants us to build a pool in our backyard. And he's like, can I start dig? you know, so, but Abby and Ashley Dupree bought a house last year in Farmington with the pool. And I was like, oh, you guys have a pool. And they're like, Bo, do you want it? You can have it on Tuesdays and Thursdays after school for the entire summer in order to teach Harvest to swim. So it was just God. Just the goodness of God with all of the crazy stuff of life, right? How are you gonna manage these small things? And God showing up and being like, oh yeah, here you go. Here's a pool for you to, to teach your son. It's a beautiful opportunity. I'm trying to be a good teacher. (laughs) He still does not want to swim for me. And I still might have to bribe him with toys. Uh, But we swam this week on Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday was 90 out. It's like, oh, Jesus, it was wonderful. Thursday was a little bit cold, but we did it. And um, I'm just grateful for the generosity of others, which points to the generosity of God. Praise God with me.
3: Beautiful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? These are great.
5: Hi. I'm Kate. I am a counselor, and I have a really difficult client situation that's involving a lot of spiritual warfare, and so I do the devotions with Bo in the mornings with a group of people from here over Zoom. Anyone that wants to connect and do something regular, we have it every morning at 9. But I just was marveling, or reflecting on this week about how even in the scripture that it speaks to the situation. And I had pulled it up when I came in here is that um, it was an Acts, and when Paul was being persecuted and the Lord stood near him the following night and said, take courage. And when I was reading that, sometimes you read scripture and you just read it and you've read that verse before. And sometimes you read it and you're like, oh, that's for me. And just this idea of like he stood near to Paul and like that he stands near to us. And so that was such an encouragement, and then I had this woman who's in this ministry that does similar stuff to the spiritual stuff in counseling, had reached out to me, and she gave me a full hour of her time consultation. And so I just was like, oh, not only is God speaking to me through scripture, but he's bringing people alongside of me that have way more wisdom than I do in certain areas, and just being... Letting me know that I'm not going through this alone, that he stands near me, and that he brings other people to stand near me, and I have a prayer team that surrounds me with prayer. And so, even though things feel really dire and really overwhelming sometimes, is that that reminder that um, he's with me. So, I wanna praise God for that.
3: Awesome. All right, any others? Don't wanna miss anyone. okay, all the way in the back, all right.
6: Thank you. Um, hello. Um, my name is Josh. Um, I'd like to give you all a very nervous good morning. Um, as you may be able to tell, I'm not from around here. Um, I've actually flown all the way from England to see my girlfriend, Rebecca. <laughs> and Coming here and, and being in here is, is very interesting and very new and different for me, um, because I wasn't raised in this environment, in this situation. So I'm kind of taking all of this in for the first time, I suppose. Um, but the thing I wanted to say is thank you, everyone. Um, I can see, at the very least, it's it's a very nice, warm, welcoming community. It's a very nice place to be. Um, so thank you all very much uh, for such a nice, welcoming atmosphere. But I wanted to say that you know the experience of coming such a long way for love makes me think about love as a concept. Um, so I suppose you know if I have a message for everyone, it's think about all the love in your life and think about what it means to you and what you would do for it and where it comes from um and just appreciate the things that we love and the things that we have and what we would do for them thank you very much thank
3: you. that was beautiful thank you and welcome <laughs> all right any others yeah
6: hi i'm bonnie um this is a really small thing but i i hate weeding and i have a vegetable garden now that's overgrown and i had some time yesterday morning and i spent two hours like pulling up every little thing and i just felt like god met me there in a way i didn't expect that it didn't feel super burdensome and everything but my mind was free and I felt like God gave me some reflection and I'm really thankful for that. That's awesome, thanks.
3: All right, anybody else? All right, so I am going to release the kids. Um, You can head on back, join your treehouse and garden friends. Have fun.
7: <laughs> and
3: back to you guys.
0: Okay, we've, we've got one more song. Let's stand one more time. The writer of this song fit a lot of words into <laughs> into it so but they're good words Um, the whole song is asking the question is he worthy and we already know before we start that he is but sometimes we just need to affirm that so let's sing from getting through. our Messiah hold forever though
7: Good morning, there we go. Good morning and welcome to Genesis. My name is Manya, I work with the kids. If you ever wanna talk to me about that, you can come out and do that. Um, But I'm here for announcements instead today. Uh, Please take a moment to let us know that you're here by filling out your digital green card or the physical one, the paper one that's in your pew. If you're new to Genesis, instead of messing with all of that, you can just text nine four zero zero zero. 94,000, and type all one word, new to Genesis, and it'll just text you back and say, hey, what's your name and your email address? And then you can skip all the thousands of other questions that are on the regular green card. Um, At Genesis, we like to make sure you belong and help you grow. So my next two announcements are make sure you belong and other people belong and help you grow. for Make Sure You Belong. If you would like to host a gathering this summer, a backyard fire or something, a picnic lunch, a summer game, or something else creative, we would love to help you. You can contact Pastor Nate, who was up there a minute ago. Anyway, and he will help you set a date and get that arranged, um, and then help you grow. On June 25th, counselor and teacher St. Kathy Lorizel will be discussing Redeeming Heartache, how past suffering reveals our true calling. Tragedy and pain are inevitable, inevitably touch our lives in some way. We all long to feel whole, but more often than not, the way we've learned to deal with our wounds pushes us away from the very restoration we need most. Kathy will be presenting a life-changing process of true connection and healing with ourselves, God and others. Your past pain does not dictate your life. Answer the call to healing and discover your life's beautiful story in a future of hope and freedom Saturday, June 25th, 9 to 2.30. I know there's childcare that day. Also, Bo has five of Kathy's books up here. If you want to read the back, if you want to flip through them, if you want to take one home and read the whole thing before the 25th, you are welcome to do that. I think they're first come, first serve. Um, Somebody said to me, I can't go to that, I have too much trauma. (laughs) And I said, "Uh uh-huh, that means you should come. Um, Lastly, we're having potluck today. Stay and eat with us. Uh, If you didn't bring anything, stay and eat with us. If this is your first time, stay and eat with us, or you're welcome to not. The extroverts will love it if you do and it's time for connection which means that you guys get to stand up and say hello to each other and again humor the extroverts they love to talk to you thank you (laughs)
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: He's wonderful. Good morning. That was awesome. That was a good, beautiful time of worship together, all of it. I always have to remind myself about, especially when we're singing, or any part of worship, that this isn't a formula that we, like, we worship God and then God's happy with us. And then we hopefully will get something from God. No, worship is this spot where all the, it's this opportunity for us to proclaim what is true so that all the white noise of the weak can be silenced. With the opportunity of what is true and good and pure can have the chance to breathe upon us. Who needs some white noise silenced? I do. I pray that we would find that today. We're in the series called um, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Inspired by a couple different books. One is by Brian Zand, written in that title, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And the other one is written by Brad Jersk. Dr. Brad Jersek called I'm A Memore Christ-like God. And we've been talking about these images of God. What is God like? And for some, God is violent and angry and retributive. That's the picture. But yet in the scriptures, we have Jesus saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. End of point. The perfect reflection of God is Jesus. The perfect revelation, the icon, the exact essence. And even when his disciples said, show us the Father, and Jesus responded, have you not been with me? And so we sit here with that. And so I want you to sit there with that. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Not one verse of Jesus, but the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the image of God. So that's one truth that we're going to hold to and all this is based upon that and the second is this god is unchangeable the theological term is immutable god doesn't change so at the revelation of jesus wasn't god changing god has always been like jesus and that is really good news but it's also conflicting because we see we have stories and images and teachings and certain things that don't look like Jesus. And what do you do with those? And so that's what we've been talking about. A Couple of weeks ago, we talked about the image of God and the metaphor of wrath. Next week, we're going to talk about the idea of hell. Uh, we were supposed to talk about violence and the violence of the Old Testament last Sunday but it was the fifth Sunday, everybody was at camp and I want to talk about the cross today and so we're going to talk about violence here in a few weeks. This is not conclusive of what we're doing. You can disagree. But the two things that I want to hold before us today, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. If you want to know what God looks like, sit in awe of Jesus. And God does not change so what image of God do you have and why this matters and so we've been talking about this and I can't I I couldn't tell you how many people come up to me and like why are you teaching on this boat (laughs) well what's behind this what's the motive of this why now what are you trying to do I I like this stuff and so I, I go to what I'm passionate about Um, But I also think it matters. It matters a lot because you become like what you worship. You imitate the image of the things you worship. We become what we worship. So whatever image of God that we have, we become like these. And so God is violent and angry and retributive. You'll see people justifying their violence, their anger, and their punishment towards other people through violence. And pointing to God saying we have justification for this. And I tell you what. You don't have to look very far in history to see the people who are meant to follow Jesus doing exactly this. Towards the first nation people. Calling them savages and eliminating them and annihilating them. And using the scriptures and parts of them verse by verse to do this. They became like the God they worshipped. This is important. So let me start with this because we're going to talk about the cross and I want to start with this, the gospel. Now that means good news. And I got to warn you, I have been accused by some of not proclaiming the gospel. The challenge is, is that um, they didn't understand the gospel. What they were taught the gospel was, was an atonement theory and I'll get to that. But Let me tell you what the gospel is. Let me tell you what the authors of Acts, when they proclaimed the gospel, what they did. The gospel is this. It's the story of how Jesus came to reveal the love and the mercy of God. And how in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, Christ decisively accomplished God's work. That is the good news. The good news can summarize. Jesus saves. And so today, if you hear anything, may it be this jesus saves would you turn to the person next to you and say that two sentences jesus saves and when jesus is doing this saving in his life death and resurrection and especially as he goes on the cross and dies does jesus ever evoke revenge In his actual death, as he is being tortured and betrayed and ridiculed, he speaks these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Jesus does this for one profound reason, because this is what God is like. Jesus did not die to change God's mind about us, but he died on the cross to change our minds about God. And so today, I want to put before you this image of God found in Jesus. You can disagree with this. There has been teaching. So if, why, I, I, this was the teaching that I wanted to do Why I'm teaching this series. It came out of Easter for me. Because I grew up at 15 going to church. I was drawn by Jesus and I continue to hear stories of how Jesus actually saves. How does this work? How does salvation take place? And I begin to hear, oh, this is what salvation looks like. And I have heard that for the last 35 years of my life. There's a script to it that is different from God accomplishing salvation through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. No, they fill in the script with a narrative. And there are certain parts of that narrative that are not true. Well, they're, they're actually not like Christ. They don't look like Jesus. They look like violence. And they look like God, the Father, projecting violence on Jesus. Which I believe it can't happen. But yet, you may have heard that narrative, believed it, taken a hold of it, have scriptures to point to. I just want to put forward a different narrative and help with those images that we might have and 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 put out here this in this moment to say that violent angry and retributive picture of god projecting violence on jesus in the cross is not the history of christianity i can tell you where it came in and when it came in and how it came in we will not cover it all but i want you to be curious You should be curious about those, those scripts that you grew up hearing. That Jesus took the punishment you deserved and if we and for some of us we hear that image and we think wait a minute I deserve to be crucified on a cross that's that's what was put out that's what should happen to me execution. And I heard these things growing up and I still hear them today that your sin is treason against God and what happens with treason in the United States? Do you know what the penalty for treason is in the United States? Anybody? Yeah, death. And so we've applied this system that our country says, yeah, well, here's the, here's the way of doing it, and it's, it's justified for doing so, and, it, and it's your death. And yet it makes God this executioner of this. But yet when we, look like, when we look at Jesus, it doesn't look like Jesus. So I ask for your patience, your grace, an open mind, hold on to all the scriptures that you have, I just want to give some light towards them. I want, I want to illuminate it and to say have some of the images in the language that we have for what's happening in the cross inadequate and actually detrimental to our union and our oneness with God. I say yes. You can disagree. This will not affect your salvation. For me, I think it affects our living and our intimacy and the way that we live out the love of God in the world. So that's my beginning in there. So when it comes to the salvation of Jesus, this gospel is good news. Do you know what? And I'm going to throw you a doozy here. And most of us have never been taught this. The Bible never states how salvation works. I'm not making that up. I'm not telling you, like, wait a minute, we were raised with people telling us how salvation works. Well, yeah, those are called theories. The theologians were doing in order to illuminate. The Bible doesn't tell us how it works, it just says it does. It's a mystery. This is not me. This is not liberal theology. This is just, if you go to the scriptures, it says, how does it work? It doesn't say how it actually works. It's a mystery. What the Bible does give is metaphors, motifs images that that spotlight but when the scriptures are talking about the gospel and the saving work of jesus it is all encapsulated in those four books of matthew mark luke and john of the life death and resurrection of jesus that's the gospel how does this work to save us it's a mystery it works but we are given metaphors and lots of them not one It's like um, a constellation of metaphors. There's not one series of stars. There's a whole bunch of them that Jesus uses to describe how salvation works in the New Testament writers. Tons of them. And then there's theories that take the metaphors and map them out so that we can understand what this might look like for us. Those are called atonement theories. That's what the majority of us have been taught. And usually we've been taught one, even though there's a plethora, There's a ton of them. They're like the constellations. They all paint this picture. Do you know why we have a multitude of them? Because the story is so beautiful. It's so mysterious. It's so grand. We need a multitude of them. There is not one. To have one can do detriment truly to the story because then we make the theory the story and not the story of Jesus yeah I'm going to adjust this so I don't keep holding it it feels like it's falling on me So these metaphors, they spotlight the story. Some of those, Jesus used metaphors like lost and found, the great physician, the healing serpent, the atoning sacrifice, the lamb of God, uh, redemption and jubilee. Those were, those were metaphors that Jesus used. And there were theories that came out of it. Where it began to get a a little bit funny and when there was a little bit of division in the church came in about a thousand in the year 1000 in the middle ages there was one church until that time and there was a split between the east and the west of the church they weren't like what we have today there was one church there was becoming a division between the east and the west and there was the eastern orthodox and there was the holy catholic that, that division happened around 1000 but a, a theologian by the name of Anselm came up with this theory and introduced a the satisfaction theory, and this was about God's honor. This was during the feudal times, and in, the, in, the, in this time, you had like somebody who was like a feudal lord, and if his honor was um, called into question like by a peasant, if like Greg dishonored the Lord, well, the Lord couldn't come after and get justification from Greg because Greg was beneath him, and he couldn't pour out, he couldn't, be ju- he couldn't get the honor he deserved by Greg having to stand up and do something about it, he would have to go to one who's his equal. And so then he would call maybe the Lord of Greg into account and be like, I need justification. I need to, right? And then would, they would do something dumb, right? Like a joust or a duel or sword play or whatever it might be. But that's where Anselm sort of started to pull in these ideas about God's honor being at cost at the cross, that God was dishonored in our sin and he needed to be honored by one of his equal. So Jesus comes in. John Calvin takes it even further in the 1500s with this idea of um, God's wrath being poured out upon Jesus. And so here's the question. I'm not going to go into all these, but here's my question that I want to put out just today. Where was God on Good Friday? When Jesus was being crucified, where was God in that moment? Was God orchestrating the whole thing, making sure that Jesus appeased God's wrath or that Jesus had to die a violent death in order for God to be made right with us? Where was God when Jesus was dying on the cross? Where was God? Was God at a distance? Was God turning his back from Jesus? Was God removing himself? Did God orchestrate this violent lynching of Jesus? Where do you put God? Where have you heard God has been in this story? If you read Isaiah, you could even, you could even maybe point to this. This is Isaiah 53 in verses four and five. It says, Surely he took on our pain and bore our suffering. They're talking about the Messiah, a prophetic text. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah says, where is God? But most of us think, oh, God is the one who is striking Jesus. God is the one who is doing this. Where, Where does this idea come from? Yet in this text, it says that we considered, we saw it and interpreted it and said, oh, God's striking you. In the same way that people came to Jesus in his day and said, hey, um, this tower fell over on these guys. Sort of this, the natural elements of life happened. The tower fell on them. Are they, are they just were sinners than everybody. And, or um, this, this leader killed all these Jews who were offering their sacrifices and he mixed their blood with their offering. Were they were sinners? They considered them stricken by God and then when they look at Jesus they said oh yeah this was this was God doing this this was God initiating this where does this come from where is God on Good Friday so someone said God was in Caiaphas and God was in Pilate these were the Roman leaders who were handing him over that God was in the Roman soldiers beating him and piercing him God was in the crowd yelling crucify him where did this idea where is God? Some of this idea that God is just distant. And that he couldn't even look on it. That he can't look on sin. He's too holy. He's too holy for this. you ever, you ever heard that? I have. Where does the idea come from? Well, it comes from one half a verse in Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. There it is that's where the idea comes from but yeah, if you read on your eyes are too pure to look on evil you cannot tolerate wrongdoing why then do you tolerate the treacherous why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves Habakkuk isn't asking, isn't making the statement that God cannot look on evil. He's saying, God, why do you allow evil to happen like you're just looking at it? You're watching it and you do nothing. That's what's being said here. Not that God cannot look on it. He's complaining to God about the terrible sins of his nations. And Habakkuk is saying this, God, you're too holy to tolerate wickedness. So why do you? Why do you tolerate wickedness? Or in Isaiah 59 2. But your iniquities, your sin, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Boy, that makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? Right? That, that there would be this picture that God can't look on us. That you're disgusting before God. Your sin is so vile. Nothing is pleasing about you. That seems to kind of paint that, that picture, but we don't read the whole, the whole chapter. What does God do? Because that's what it keeps down. so we've got to keep reading. Here is in verses 15 and 16. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. What did God do when he was looking upon all the sin? Did he turn his back? No. He reached out his arm and intervened. He intervened. Go further, verse 20 and 21. This is prophetic. The Redeemer will come to Zion. It's another Jerusal- name for Jerusalem. To those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, and on the lips of your children, and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. What is God to do with this insight of looking at us and our sins? Does he turn from us? Does he say, uh, you're just too repulsive for me to look at? I'm going to turn my back in disgust. We talked about wrath. We said, yeah, he'll hand us over to the decisions of our life, allowing sin and the consequences of sin to have us. There are consequences for your sin. You'll go against the grain of love for others. You're going to pay that price. God will hand you over to that. But what is God's response to our brokenness? Is it for God to turn us back, to say, you're too repulsive, I can't even look at you, I can have nothing to do with you. No, it's to intervene. It's to intervene. God does not turn away. So where was God on Good Friday? Tearing the veil, sworn of weeping and mourning, a, a sign of God's love for people and, the, and, the, and breaking the division between humanity and of that but that question is who needs to be reconciled on that day was it God who needed to be made right so that he could see us so he could look upon us and love us or did we need to be reconciled did we need to see that God actually loves us were we the ones who need to be reconciled that's what the scriptures say it was us where was God on Good Friday some theories proposed that Though the Father loves Jesus, God is depicted at turning God's face from the Son, forsaking the Son, striking and punishing and tormenting the Son, pouring out of all of God's wrath against sin upon the Son. Where, where does this come from? I think this is dangerous. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. How did people conclude that God turns his face away from Jesus? There's even songs. How great the father's love for us. Anybody know that song? In it, it, says God turns his face away from Jesus. Well, that comes from Psalm 22 that Jesus quotes when he's on the cross. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only line that Jesus says when he's on the cross being crucified. I have heard this taught so many times. That in this moment, that because Jesus had the sin poured upon him, that God removes himself from this, that God cannot look upon Jesus, that this is the first instance within the Godhead which they are separated, that when there comes to the greatest pain of the cross, it's that moment of the separation between God or between Jesus and the Father. There, it, it's creating a problem that does not exist. Jesus is dying and cannot breathe as he's being executed on a cross and he quotes psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me and I got to tell you read the psalm read the whole psalm because the psalm is not about being forsaken in this psalm Jesus is even prophetically yeah does he feel forsaken? He's being crucified. He's allowing sinful people to kill him unjustly. He is being lynched. My word, have you ever suffered? And in your suffering, do you feel forsaken? Yes, I have suffered. And we have scriptures that allow us to say, God, where are you, where are you, where are you? But the answer is not, you know what you were just too sinful there was just too much sin I couldn't look from you I was I couldn't look at you I was removed from you and so we we use this story as a projection of saying well this is what God does but read Psalm 22 prophetically talks about how Jesus would be pierced and how they'd gamble for his clothes but in the end it's this beautiful boast in verse 22 I will declare your name to my people in the assembly I will praise you you who fear the Lord praise him all you descendants of Jacob pray honor him revere him all you descendants of Israel for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but he has listened to his cry for help. Where was God on Good Friday? He did not turn his back on Jesus. I find this offensive. Because the women who loved Jesus sat there and watched it all. Because they loved Jesus. And the Father can't watch it? No, the Father. This is what Corinthians tells us. This is what Corinthians tells us. Where was God on Good Friday? It says this right here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God was with Jesus, reconciling the world, making right the world. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What is God doing? He's reconciling us. He's in Jesus. Doing this work. Not counting people's sins against us. In Hebrews. Chapter 2. Verse 14 to 15. It says this. Since the children have flesh and blood. He too shares in their humanity. So that by his death. ...he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. What is happening on the cross? We're being freed from sin, death, and Satan. That is what is happening here. Jesus is not saving us from God... God is in Jesus reconciling us. I think this matters because this is a more beautiful picture of God who is not violent retributive and wrathful, but saving us. One more metaphor. One more metaphor that I want to walk through. This is Jesus' words in Mark 10, 45. See, we can't just look at one we have to look at a ton of metaphors so if there's just one storyline one atonement theory one metaphor of a substitution of our atoning sacrifice we only have one and explain it that way we're missing out on the beautiful picture here's Jesus in Mark 10 and he uses this metaphor for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that's a metaphor ransom it's a biblical metaphor of the scriptures that Jesus is using, ransom. How does ransom work? If I kidnap Jesse, because I know he's so wealthy, and I say, all right, Jesse's mine, and there's a ransom, I mean, somebody's going to pay it for him. His brother James, more than likely, is going to come to his aid scrounge up all that he has and and pay it the ransom so jesus said i came to pay a ransom for many so that's a metaphor so people take the metaphors and they work out theories how the the metaphor is meant to be a spotlight the metaphor is not the gospel the gospel is the good news that jesus saves through his life death and resurrection that's the gospel but there's this metaphor it's meant to spotlight don't confuse the two the gospel jesus saves can we illuminate on how this works we can make attempts ransom is one of those how does it work who is jesus paying the ransom to okay god is god the one that jesus has to pay the ransom to no i mean this was just said this was just spoken in hebrews Was God the one who is holding us in bondage, which the ransom has to be paid? No. Hebrews, let me read it again. Chapter two, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those for all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So God isn't the one who's being paid the ransom, so I guess it's saying that Satan is the one whom Jesus is paying the ransom to. So, Jesus is going to pay a ransom to Satan? Jesus is going to pay Satan nothing. Jesus owes Satan nothing. Satan is not the one who's owed a ransom here. I mean, this is where theologians have wrestled, and you can read these theories. You can, this is called the ransom, part of the ransom theory. Who is the ransom paid to? Lots of discussion. But is it Satan? No. God owes Satan nothing. There is no deal making here. Many have said, oh, they tricked. That um, Jesus' humanity tricked Satan. Thinking he was gonna offer his life to death and he was gonna dupe him. And so the other metaphor that is pulled in during this one is one that Jesus used himself. When Jesus said he used this metaphor when he was describing the kingdom of God, and he said it cannot be divided. If Satan breaks down Satan's house, then how can it stand? He says, no, no. Satan is overcome when a strong man enters his house, binds him, ties him up and plunders his house. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going to bind the strong man and plunder his house. He's going to bind him and he's going to take the captives free. That's the picture another metaphor that Jesus used. He is not going to pay Satan. So was that the law that was paid? And many would say, oh yeah, it's the law. It's it's this form of justice. Justice has to be met. God needs to be vindicated. Um, And so, I mean, God would like to forgive us, but he can't because he says, hey, justice has to be paid. I'd like to be able to do it, but I can't. Uh, God doesn't owe anything. Justice is not above God. God can forgive and pour out mercy on whomever he says. In, his, in some final words, he says, Oh, mercy triumphs over justice. God's not big hold into this. Jesus came and said, I have the authority to forgive. You're forgiven. And people were shocked. You're forgiven. He just does. So it's not, it's not the law. So what is the ransom maybe the best example is that it was death what is the ransom that is paid in exchange for our lives when Jesus gave his life for ours to whom did he give the life of Christ was given over to death itself when he was born he was going to die he took on all of humanity he would experience death. He lived a perfect life. Illuminated beauty and goodness. And who killed him? Well in Acts it said that the Roman leaders did. And the Jewish elders did. The people did. And who cried crucify him. They are the ones who killed him. But in this moment This ransom, who did he give it to? The life of Christ was given over to death itself. But as in the case of Satan, Christ did not owe death anything. He did not owe Hades a life. Instead, death is a gate by which Jesus entered death and plundered its captives. I tell you what, if that is not a beautiful beautiful picture of god i don't know what is beautiful god entering death plundering the captives of death going into death setting free us all who would trust in jesus is this like the metaphor that answers all the questions of how salvation works no there's a multitude of them I just think that we got to be cautious about any of the metaphors that place God against Jesus. They are one. They are not helpful. It is not beautiful. It is violent. And in that violence, the systems of violence and power and evil are not silenced and put to shame if we allow violence to be the thing that redeems us. No, what redeems us is God in Christ, defeating sin, Satan, and the devil through his great love. Could you see it differently? Oh, absolutely. We can see it differently. I share this for the sake of saying a beautiful gospel, not trying to eliminate things that I, I do not like, But it's a way of holding up Jesus and saying, Jesus looks just like the father. And the father does not change. Does your image of God, do these ideas still linger of God's anger towards you, of God's wrath towards you? That you need to do more in order to earn God's approval. Do these ideas still linger in that, that God can't look upon you? That God's not going to answer your prayers because of your sin? That if you did a little bit more better, then he could hear you more. Do we still, the scripts, even though we might not believe that script of violence, it does it still linger within us. The, Paul that pray, that, that, the prayer that Paul prays for his church is one that we would know the love of Christ even more so. It is the foundation for us. It is our rock, and may that be. Let me pray. And so, Father, as you left us this beautiful, the beautiful revelation of Jesus, you you allow us. To grow, and to learn, and to, ha- and to grow in your love, to be rooted in it. And so during our life, we might need to unlearn some things. And so at any point, Lord, let your Holy Spirit illuminate and guide us into truth. We pray that your teaching would not lead us towards anger, towards each other, towards brutalizing one another. but loving one another. Lord, you are the teacher and the guide. So you can guide us into this truth. Maybe so. We remember what was said of you in your death. The beautiful statement of your resurrection that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, lord may your love illuminate may we be grounded and firmly rooted in your love that is the prayer that your holy spirit and your power would come to show us the depth of it the width of it the length of it the beauty of it the implications of it so that we could follow jesus in the life of jesus the implications that we would love you and be confident to become for you that we could love one another our brothers and sisters and even more challenging that we could love our enemy not being violent against them if they put violence against us but emulating your life and offering forgiveness you are beautiful Amen. So, here's my question. Do you care about this? Is this, is this, um, did it bother you? Do we need to talk more about this? Was it too much? (laughs) Did it make no sense? I I find it important as a pastor, as a shepherd, as one who cares um, for you, for me, and for what we teach. This is not conclusive. This was one attempt in whatever time I had. Your, um, the scriptures you know and your takes and anything rubbed you is valid hold it share it with me write it down what about ask the Lord Lord what about this I I don't I don't think I buy that Lord what about this allow God to to do so and pull other people in there I I would love to sit with you not in debate but even just to say what about and be like oh that's so interesting there is mystery there is paradox there is complexity there are no simple answers I am finding myself wanting to be rooted in Jesus My Messiah, my Savior. And so, is there more here? Do we need more here? Was that not enough? Was that confusing? Did it infuriate you? Did that bring life? Do we know how to live into it? What do you say? If I just had a really big monologue, we've just... So, email the elders. Tell me. Write down some notes. I can pull up other people to teach. i got Bill over there raising his hand with a thought to that. Absolutely. So I want to open this dialogue around tables. We're eating together. Jesus gave us that fellowship of table by including us, inviting us to the table. Let's eat at the table and discuss. We're right with God because of Jesus. Come around the table. Come around the table and eat. If you didn't bring anything come around the table and eat let's be here together i invite you to stay and to celebrate the love of jesus around the table it is a form of communion celebrating the love of christ around a shared meal may we do so god bless you next week we're talking about hell everyone's favorite 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 hell hell yeah let's do it there we go all right um stay and eat go uh, may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord's favor be upon you may today have not hurt you if you're hearing accusation that only comes from satan you understand that death stealing and accusation only comes from satan now it can come from me too i pray it doesn't jesus came and said i came to give life and i pray that you would have life let it be holy spirit let us have life and say we have life today let us go and eat would you go in the life of christ have i talked enough go i'm going to keep talking let's go eat (laughs)